money also has babies and it has grandbabies and great grandbabies and the family gets really really big but in order to make that happen there is a trigger these are made by investing them in machines that can produce and then reproduce welcome to the get real podcast your high octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal business and investing success with your host ron phillips because somebody's got to tell it like it is hey everybody welcome back to the get real podcast ron phillips and heather marchant with you good to be ready back. to talk some year-end stuff which will be really beneficial that's right great Before- feedback from last week by the way heather Yes, uh, such good feedback. And before we jump into that too much, I did realize we had kind of a goof in email monitoring. We were monitoring parts of our invest at RPC invest email, but it wasn't all getting monitored for lack of a long explanation over here. But I think that we were, I was super frustrated because I didn't realize that it hadn't been monitored. So if you've reached out to us and wondered, that's strange that I never heard back. Now you know why. So we will be reaching out and answering lots of old, old questions. So yeah. And if you feel like you should have gotten a response and you didn't reach back out, uh, we got all that fixed and we apologize. That's right. Because some of you were asking very direct, awesome questions, and you didn't get answers to them. And we apologize for that. Mm -hmm. But today, we want to talk about something that we're getting asked quite a bit. And funny enough, both Heather and I have been anxiously doing this for ourselves Mm -hmm. for the last 30 days. (laughs) And we just figured maybe we should tell you about it so that you've got a shot. And you're, you know, we're coming up on the point where you don't have a shot anymore. So... It's really, really important and timely information. And that is, how can we pay less taxes? I mean, we had this awesome, last week, we had this awesome discussion with Warren. One of the things we want to deep dive into is, one of the things is this cost segregation that we really didn't talk about much with Warren. I mean, he shared some really, really great stuff with us. This week, we want to share some stuff with you guys that Heather and I are doing like right now to help before year end. So let's, yeah, let's start this off. I mean, cost segregation is a really cool thing. And just depreciation in general. Yeah. Very cool thing. So with or without cost segregation, this is pretty amazing. It just happens to be really amazing right now. That's the thing. I've had clients call and tell me, man, I thought I was going to have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes And because of this strategy, which we did talk about a bit last week, so I thought it dovetailed really well into a little more of a deep dive into cost segregation and what that means um, based on the episode that we had aired last week. So having a better understanding when you say, I'm expecting to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars or several hundred thousand dollars, and then I pay nothing or get a refund. I've heard that from multiple clients over the years. Like, man, I had a massive tax bill and now I have a refund. And I've had other people say, I'm worried this is illegal. I think I mentioned that last week. <laughs> I'm worried. I'm worried that I'm doing something illegal because it's so good. So good. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, like we talked about last week, the government, all of the boneheads, both sides of the aisle boneheads put this stuff into effect. This is not yeah. that new. Now, the bonus depreciation we're going to talk about is relatively new in the last few years. But still, I mean, mm-hmm. they did this. So you don't have to feel bad about it at all. Take advantage of what 
you know, they put into place for us. Yeah. And I think, that, I mean, they put things in place for a reason, like yes. Warren was talking about last week. There's, yes, there's I a love reason. That. Because I've always assumed it was self-interest, and I think a lot of it is. But still, the fact that it stimulates the economy, provides housing for people. I mean, real estate solves a problem and a a need in our society. And so does the machinery and all of the other things that you can do bonus depreciation on if you are a, you know, if you're a business owner that has things that fall into this bonus depreciation, you can use it for those too, right? And all of those things solve problems for Americans. And Mm -hmm. and that's the reality of the situation. Now, separate and apart from that, I mean, let's be honest, bonus depreciation was enacted by Trump. Trump's a real estate guy. This is a very heavily (laughs) weighted for real estate people. I only laugh because if you're not a real estate person, well, what the hell are you waiting for? I know. I mean, if you're listening and you're not, we would not uh, say you're an investor. What are you waiting for? Yeah, I literally don't know. I mean, they, they the government couldn't say, hey, you should be a real estate investor louder than they did just a few mm-hmm. years ago when they started giving bonus depreciation. And so with that lead in, let's actually get into this, the down and dirty of this. And you're yeah. going to have to stick with us because this is... This is numbers. This is like, and we're going to do this on a podcast. Okay. So you're going to have to, Heather and I are going to try really hard to do this with no visuals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is, which is difficult, especially for people like me who are visual. So I'm going to try to help the visual people out there, the visual learners out there with pictures of numbers. Yes. Visualize people in your, in your (laughs) mind's eye while you're safely driving. All right. (laughs) So let's start out with normal depreciation, Heather, because you won't understand cost segregation unless you understand regular depreciation, which we talked about last week. So this should be a refresher, shouldn't Mm -hmm. be new, right? You can depreciate the value of the structure, not the land. Okay, so let's do a $100,000 property just to make this really super simple. And let's say that the land is 20%, so you can depreciate $80,000. And you can you do that over 20... You depreciate land. Land That's does not correct. go down in value. That's correct. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about land, but it's what's in the dirt, not the dirt itself. Okay, so for right now, what we're talking about is land is separate. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's 20%. That's $20,000 of the 100. It means we can write off 80000 We can do that over 27 and a half years. And uh, somebody is going to ask why 27 and a half years... <sighs> No clue. Government made it up. Government said. That's why. Government made it up. That's the number. (laughs) Right? So if you divide $80,000 by 27 and a half, well, that gives you, I don't know what the number is. We'll, we'll, Heather, let's do the math. Okay. $80,000 divided by 27 and a half? Yeah. Heather's doing math on the fly. This is great. 2909? 2909. So huge number. And then that 2909, you just write that off. And in this scenario, you would write it off against your cash flow, which means you may not pay any taxes at all on the cash flow return that you're receiving. Yeah. Especially if you had any maintenance on your property. I mean, I like I've replaced a roof on one of my properties because we get real in here. This is not real estate is perfect and doesn't have any upsets, right? I had to replace a roof on a property, an $80,000 property, and the roof was four grand. And I happily did it because I get to write that off on my taxes. So that is another way to pay less taxes. Okay. So now let's get into the complicated piece, right? This cost segregation. 
So cost segregation is a fancy word for taking all the bits and pieces that make up a structure and putting them into separate categories. And then each one of those categories has its own number, which is not necessarily 27 and a half. And how did they come up with those numbers? Well, it doesn't really matter. I know. Those are the numbers. I'm going to okay. pause here and say that I just volunteered in my kid's school this morning. First graders teaching them spelling. And let me tell you, I don't know how many times I was like, yeah, it just is. Like, I don't, I don't know. Makes no sense. Why is there an H in whale? I, I don't know. Why is it spelled W-A-I-L in another? <laughs> it just is. So just take that. It just is, guys. Yeah, no clue. <laughs> just blame Mother England. It's not our yeah, fault. We didn't do it. <laughs> okay. And in this case, we're going to blame the government. No clue. Just they came up with these. I, they, somebody probably pulled them right square out of their posterior end. And here we have it. So yeah. there's groups. Personal property, which is five and seven years. One of the two. Okay. There's land improvements, which is the stuff that I was telling you about in the dirt. Right. That's the, you know, all the plumbing and the sewer and anything else that's in the dirt. That's all 15 years. And then you've got the real property that continues to produce. I mean, that's like 27 and a half years. Now, if it's a commercial property, it's 39 years. Mm -hmm. And why does commercial property fall apart slower than residential property? No clue. <laughs> Literally no clue. doesn't matter. <laughs> those, those are the numbers. The way I explain this too, the way that makes sense to me logically, is if you're standing in your home and you're looking around, you know the stuff that's going to last 27 and a half years. I mean, mm -hmm. your roof, you have 30 year shingles, you know, you have your structure of the actual home, the stick frame construction with, you know, the two by fours and all that stuff. But then you turn around and you look at your kitchen faucet and say, not, no way, no way it's going to last 27 and a half years. I've already replaced a faucet in my house that I replaced seven years ago, already replaced it. So, okay, well, my actually, stuff had better last longer than that. Cause this rehab, I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> some of the, some of the faucets in my house cost a small fortune. So <laughs> if they don't, if they don't last the duration of the home, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> well, we did get it replaced under warranty. You're right. Cause we bought better faucets, but still, you know, that they're not going to last just logic tells you that. Right. So that kind of is the mental shift in understanding this for me is kind of just real life experience and sure. looking at what lasts. So some stuff just has a lower shelf life than the rest mm -hmm. of it. Yep. And that's the whole idea, right? That's the reason the government allows you to do this. They're, they, they're allowing you to break all the parts apart. And the reason we say cost segregation is because there's a cost segregation study that goes along with this. So you have pay a company, they come in, they break all the bits and pieces out. They put them in the appropriate buckets. They assign a value to them and bam, now you've got this study and you know what the five and seven year stuff is. You know what the 15 year stuff is and you know what the 27 and a half year stuff is and away you go. Yep. And this has been going on for a long time. This isn't something that's new. I would say I've heard about this for well over a decade, but it wasn't very cost effective because the study was so expensive. You usually had to pay someone to go on site and literally measure everything all of your tile and all the square footage of every little piece of everything. And then with how much you would save on your taxes with a single family home, it just didn't make sense. So this has started working in the what, Ron, like three years, I think maybe four that we've been. Yeah, probably five. But they, the reason is because of technology, guys. Yeah. Technology has made this so that it's cost effective and it can be done. And then the government has also come out with some rules about 
the size of the structure and also the price of the structure, mm-hmm. which allow there to be no on-site visit to certain properties, mm-hmm. which most single-family homes, smaller properties fall into, right? Which makes them cost-effective. It makes and, and makes it so that doing a cost segregation study is actually makes sense yes. financially. Yes. And they're pretty simple, you guys. I mean, I got I received an EOB, an estimate of benefits before I paid for the study. And it kind of gave me an idea on what kind of depreciation write-off I'd be getting. Like, hey, here's your deduction. Here's your estimated tax savings. Like, let's take a look at what we think this will turn out to be. And it's like one page. <laughs> it's not It's not yeah. this um, overwhelming. I think that's one thing that people assume is that this is overwhelming and difficult. It's not at all, actually. And when you get the actual modeling study, I think it's two pages, at least for all my rental properties I've done it for. It's two pages long and not a bunch of legalese. It's real simple. So I think that's important to know. So the... On my particular property, the first one I did this for, I actually had already filed taxes when I purchased it because I purchased this one in 2016. And I think I did this in 2018. And so I had to actually go back and amend the depreciation schedule, which a lot of people don't know they can do. They assume, oh, well, it's too late. (laughs) Like I've already filed taxes. This is the first year it's in service that you can get this bonus depreciation. So just know you can go back in time. It's a little bit more expensive, but we're talking like $50 or $75. It's not a big difference (laughs) because they have to do a little bit more work. I had to send them my tax returns from that I'd already filed for the property. And then they came back with the amendment. I gave that two-page document to my accountant and my accountant literally, it, I think I was on the phone with him when he ran numbers and said, yep, here's what here's what you're going to save. I was like, well, that was literally probably 15 minutes of my time. It's that. the coolest thing ever. Folks. Yeah. And like you heard last week, there's a, and if you didn't, if you didn't hear last week, you need to go back and listen to it because there were some things that Warren talked about specifically with this cost segregation where whether you're a real estate professional or you're not a real estate professional, it makes sense to have the study done, right? So what we want to talk about today is like, what does this really mean on a specific property? We're going to use a specific property and we're going to show, we're going to talk to you about the numbers and I'm going to show you in picture form in the audio that we do. You're going to be able (laughs) to see pictures of money. It's going to be great. (laughs) At least that's my goal. That's fantastic. Show right. you in picture form in your... So Heather, this is your example. Let's let's go through this thing. Yeah. So this is the house I bought in 2016. I bought it for $79,900. So $79, this cute little thing. It's actually on the market right now locally with a local agent for $150. This house has just been a dream. I've replaced the roof on it and I did replace some carpeting, but it came out of the tenant's deposit. So I've had literally... I think the roof has been the only expense that I've had on this house. And I could write that off on my taxes. So it doesn't always work out that way. But when it does, you just celebrate, right? (laughs) So um, when I did the modeling study and they sent it back over, they um, pulled out the other expenses. I'm trying to hide. I'm trying to look at my numbers here and 
see what the numbers are. There it is. So they took out site components, the foundation, framing, exterior walls, roof, right? Those are going to be more of your, like uh, breaking out all of the costs, right? So they have a, a dollar amount associated with all of it. And then it totaled out to be 66086 because you cannot depreciate the land, right? So they took all of those numbers out and then you're left with the actual depreciation that I had as of end of 2017 was $1,400, but additional depreciation deductions I could take $7,877 is what that amounted to, which on this tiny little house, you guys, it basically took my rate of return. And if you add all the rate of return rates of return together, I was practically paying back all of my down payment with cash flow plus depreciation. And then the tenant paying down the mortgage, I didn't even have to worry about appreciation. I had such a... Well, yeah, yeah man, I'm looking at your depreciation schedule right here. You're at 14,000 for you know trades and services, stuff like that. And then you've got all... And that's all the five-year stuff, but you've got land improvements of 12, eight for a total of $27,000 on a little tiny $80,000 house. Yeah. I think my down payment was roughly 16. I had seven grand in closing costs. And I remember thinking that was brutal. It was just a small loan amount. So they dinged me big time. But that write-off, it was like made me whole with all of my... I mean, it's that was... I I remember being totally and completely shocked. So throwing that right onto my tax return, those numbers just went right onto my tax return. It's unreal, folks. And this is the last year you can do 100% bonus depreciation, which means that 100% of all of those things that are 5, 7, and 15 years are first-year depreciable. Mm-hmm. So next year, it goes to 80%. So you'd take that $27,000 number and you'd multiply it by 80%. That's what you get to depreciate first year. And then after that, you I mean, you still get to depreciate. It's just not first year, mm-hmm. right? So you have this huge number and this big opportunity. Now you combine that with some of the other opportunities that we've been talking about and buying before the end of the year, all of a sudden becomes a pretty sexy thing. Okay. It also becomes a very difficult thing because we're next. I mean, this week is Thanksgiving. So when you guys hear this, this week is Thanksgiving. We're, we're recording it the week before, but this week is Thanksgiving. So this week, everybody, especially lenders, just like they just go away. Right. So if you're buying something and you're not paying cash, it gets really, really difficult the longer you wait before the end of the year to actually close this year. Because the secret is to close this year. You have to close this year. And I remember last year we talked about this, Heather. I closed a property literally on December 31st. I closed two on December 30th. So I mean, it was it was a little stressful. Yeah, because if you miss it, it's not inconsequential. It is a huge, massive deal, right? So it's really, really important. Really important. And it's so simple and doesn't require a lot of time. A couple of things that people often get, I don't know, worried about. You do not have to do the modeling study the year you buy the property. So if you're closing before December 31st, you don't have to have your modeling study done by December 31st. I have a lot of clients that assume that. And they start panicking, like, I don't have it yet. You don't have to do the modeling study until you file your taxes. So if you file your taxes in April, you just get your modeling study first part of the year. Or if you're, you know, filing in October, like, 
I often do, then you need to just have it done before October. And you have a little tiny bit more time. A little tiny bit. I mean, don't wait that long because here's the thing. Everybody, yeah. everybody in what, March mm-hmm. is trying to get their cost segregation guy to do a cost segregation study before April. And then everybody else, there's another run right before mm-hmm. October when you've got to file. Yep. So don't don't be that guy or gal, right? But just get it done. You got tons of time to get it done. It's not that big of a deal. And okay. it's kind of fun, if I'm being honest. It's like opening a present. It's like, ooh, how it's, much money did you save? You know, those ads you get, you scratch the thing and see how much you save. That's what it feels like. I can almost promise you that it is a bigger gift for some of you, maybe not. But for most people, this is a bigger gift that you're going to get underneath the tree from anybody else. Yeah. Yep. So Amen. let's talk about how this affects returns because th- this is the this is the thing that people people get so balled up about the the cash on cash return, which is important and needs to be positive and it, and it should be as high as you can get. Okay, but to focus on that for a couple of points, like right, so you say I'm, I would only buy a property at ten percent cash return instead of eight percent cash return when if you don't get the property, you miss this return. It may or may not be a really good thing or bad thing. Yep. But let's talk through the numbers and just see what it looks like because the returns go up dramatically. So huge. Uh, I mean, when you add in bonus depreciation, the additional, I'd already filed my taxes, right, on this property. So (laughs) I'd already filed one time. So the additional was only 58.65 that I gained in addition to the just straight line. So that brought my rate of return with the cash flow and principal reduction and stuff up over well over 100%. And it has been because this is the property I've talked about on here several times that is just run like clockwork that the property managers raise the rents. So it started rents were, were low. That's the other thing. It's just it feels kind of short sighted to say, I'm just going to wait when you just don't see all these other things that, <laughs> that make such a big difference, like rent increases will do more for your ROI than rate in a lot of properties, depending on the price point, right? So having the rents go up. When the rates come down, you can refinance. And the numbers with the depreciation, principal reduction, and in some markets, I actually think that that the properties could still go up in value because some of these markets are still not overbuilt. And in Mm -hmm. spite of the fact that there are uh, interest rate concerns, people are still buying houses, just not buying them as quickly as they as they were. Next year, we may see things flatten out. In a lot of markets, we probably see some reduction in price. I mean, not in price, but in appreciation. And we may even see some depreciation in some markets. But I think for the most markets, aren't going to see that. Yeah, I agree. So anyway, bonus depreciation, if I had to put it in a picture you know, those those commercials where they try to convince you to buy a Mercedes because they have a pretty bow and they can drive in the snow and it looks magical. I'm here to tell you that, well, I can't say they're not magical. I have owned a Mercedes. They are pretty magical, especially the AMG ones. Those are really magical. Well, and if you buy the right one, they'll use those can also be de- depreciated. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. But if you take that magic away from the automobile and put it into a tax break, which is in itself more magical because not only do you get this return, but you you get it and you take it away from yes. our wasteful 
horrible, completely misappropriated government who will literally light it on fire. And while it's on fire, they will send it in a plane to another country and you, you will never see it again. It'll just go up in a cloud. And most recently, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I going to go. I was going to go somewhere, but I'm not going to go there. Probably. This, this um, analogy is, is really rich. I'm like, <laughs> it's awesome. Any, anytime you can keep your money away yes. from the government that will literally just pee on it and light it on fire if it'll still burn. It might with their pee. It might actually burn with theirs. Are you getting the image, Heather? Is yeah, there I'm imagery coming across? I'm I think it, yes. <laughs> anytime you can do that, it's the best gift and it's better. Like if I could make a commercial for this, it would be, it probably wouldn't air. They probably wouldn't air it. It would be that <laughs> offensive. It would probably wouldn't air. Well, but the gift that goes under the tree is a magical thing like that Mercedes that just floats on the snow and could never get in a wreck and always has a bow on it no matter whether it's driving 70 it makes no difference it has a bow (laughs) it's like that (laughs) well and the other magical part ron too that we haven't really talked about is it's your money back in your pocket and guess what you can do with that you can invest it and that money has babies and makes more money and then you have tax savings again and then you do it again that is magical because I'm I'm going to be a I don't know if I've told everybody I'm going to be a grandpa not. in December, which is magical. Yes. Thank you, Brendan and Ashley, for making that Very happen. Exciting. Very exciting. But like Heather said, money also has babies, and it has grandbabies and great grandbabies, and yes. the family gets really really big. But in order to make that happen, there is a trigger, much like there is a trigger for actual babies. And we could go over that in another podcast if people don't understand how those are made. It's a separate podcast. We'd have to do like a couple's <laughs> therapy kind of a, of a podcast for that one. But anyway, these are made by investing them in machines that can produce mm-hmm. and then reproduce. Versus handing it over to the government where it's yeah. gone forever. I think so, I may have taken us off the rails, Heather. Thank you for bringing it back. <laughs> fantastic. It was, I was loving it. I was loving it. I think that, that it's, it's like drilling home, though, that it just disappears is super important versus when it stays in your pocket, not only is it saved, it can be put to use. So I, I've taken all of my depreciation on my properties and I have to add it all up, but I would assume I could have bought maybe $800,000 worth of properties for my depreciation write-offs that I've had. I mean, it's It's pretty incredible. And I I should also state too, if you don't have enough time and you want to invest in a syndication, syndications also pass through because you are an owner of, you're a partial owner in the property. They also pass through depreciation. And Mm -hmm. so the usually the preferred return that you're receiving is not taxed because you have enough write-off to overcome that. So you get to keep all of the cash that comes from that, your return. And there's, you're probably not going to pay a tax on that because of the depreciation that flows through to you as an owner in the property. So both of those things, if you're interested in syndications, reach out uh, as well. 
Well, we can help you in either one of those ways. So if you, if you don't want to go through the, the pain and hassle of buying a property towards the end of the year, which is not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's worth it, mm-hmm. you can get involved in a syndication and... Will you tell everyone what will you tell everyone what being an accredited investor is required and what that is? Yes, you have to make two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I think it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's two hundred or three hundred, isn't it? It might be two or three hundred. Either way, you have to make that as a single person or as a couple, depending on how you file, and or have a million dollar net worth, not including your personal residence, and that makes you an accredited investor. And and where did that come from? Our illustrious government who made the rule, and that's what (laughs) makes you an accredited investor. So if you uh, meet those criteria, you don't have to meet one of them, either either or, then you can can invest in syndications and you can do this um, with, it is literally as easy as signing some documents, wiring some money, that's it, done. Yep. And you'll get write-offs. So definitely have passive. Yep. And I was going to say one other thing, but I think we'll maybe I'll save it for the next podcast. And how's that for a teaser? Yeah, that's a good teaser. Not really, because I didn't tell them what it was. I mean, I have any idea what I was going to say. I may or may not even say it on the next podcast. They would never even know. <laughs> that was that was a good trick right there. <laughs> okay. Well, if you guys want to get some um, write-off before the end of the year, do not wait. And if you're going to do cars too, I'll just tell you from my experience. It's the exact same thing. Like if, if you're headed to the Land Rover dealership and you think you're just going to like yeah. pick a car off of the lot, man, they go away really quickly between Thanksgiving and Christmas and ordering one doesn't count. You actually have to drive it off the lot. So, yeah, make it happen. Get a year end tax planning set up. You guys know what you're up against, know what things look like. And if buying a car is going to save you. 20 grand or whatever on your taxes. I mean, just just know, be educated and informed rather than money just happening to you, taxes happening to you. Yeah, houses are better than cars, by the way. And on that happy note, until next time, get out there and make something happen. Most definitely. There's not much time left, so make it happen. <laughs> this has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.